20th century philosopher Martin Buber had a famous saying among many, one of them that particularly strikes me is, relation is reciprocity. And when you think about it, it makes sense. Those we interact with, the people we come into contact with, the things that we come into contact with, actually change us. Students teach us. The work we do forms us. We're educated by children. I'm even educated by animals. We live in the current of, of universal reciprocity, he said. Relation is reciprocity. We are constantly changed by those things we are in relation with. And this, week, this, this week's readings, I think, lead us to an uncomfortable question because of this. What does having a relationship with God require of us? How does it change us? And it's uncomfortable because it brings up a term that we Episcopalians sometimes struggle with, discipleship. The heavy lifting, if you will, or the hard work of being a disciple of Christ. First, in the Old Testament reading from Isaiah, the prophet's vision offers what is probably the starkest perspective of how a relationship with God demands change. He sees the Lord in his temple, and he is described so enormous that the very hem of his robe fills the entire space. Seraphim fly about. The building shakes from prayer, and Isaiah falls to his knees, proclaiming his sinfulness. Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, he says. A seraph takes a burning coal and touches Isaiah's lips, and declares him sin-free. And then this enormous deity, this Lord whose robe alone more than fills the temple, humbly asks whom they'll send. And Isaiah cries out, Here am I, send me. For Isaiah, having a relationship with God, changes him from being a self-obsessed sinner to a prophetic voice, ready to go out into the world with God's news. Relation is reciprocity. In the psalm, having a relationship with God strengthens his soul, in one translation. Strengthens his soul. In verse 3, he remembers, On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. Now some suggest that a strengthening of the soul is when prayers are answered, which I thought I like very much. That in our supplication, we're creating space, space in our very soul, for God to work. And when our prayers are answered, we feel closer, we feel more connected to God. In a few minutes, we'll share the prayers of the people. Think about each of them as a chance to connect ourselves closer to God, to strengthen our soul. The psalm reminds us that God answers us and we're drawn closer to God as a result. And during this season of Epiphany, in the epistle, we continue to work our way through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And this week, the messy little church in Corinth is facing yet another controversy. This time, many in the church want to deny that the resurrection ever happened. And Paul is understandably upset since the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are the central points of his ministry, including the resurrection, especially the resurrection. For it is in the resurrection that Christ defeated death and opened us uh, all up to resurrection in the last days. Without the resurrection, Paul claims, the Corinthians might come to believe in vain. 
But you have to admit, the Corinthians have a point. Even today, some 2,000 years later, resurrection can be a bit tricky to understand. Try explaining it to an atheist or a non-believer of one type or another, or, or even a person of another faith. Even in Jesus' time, the prevailing controversy in Judaism was about resurrection. It was between the Pharisees, like Paul, who believed in the resurrection, and the Sadducees, who denied its very existence. So the Corinthians, in a way, are just continuing this tradition. John Shelby Spong, who's a 20th century century Episcopal bishop, and some argue a near heretic, argued that the Easter experience, as he calls it, that Paul is referring to, that Jesus' appearance to Cephas, the disciples, and the 500 was the very moment that Christianity began. That without that very real experience, one that changed the way they experienced God, we wouldn't be gathered here today. But, Spong argues, it's not dependent on a physical bodily resurrection. Paul isn't thinking of the put-your-hand-here resurrection that we know from John's Gospel. That happened 60 years later. For Spong, he's thinking much more like the road to Damascus, blinding experience, that he had witnessed in a vision. It's still real, but not so hung up on the actual physical presence. And for the record, Bishop Spong is in the minority around resurrection, but the point is that the Easter experience, however it happened, transformed this scared group of Jesus' followers who were huddled in the upper room in Jerusalem into a powerful evangelizing force that within, within a few decades began changing the world. Relation is reciprocity. What we experience molds us. For Paul and Simon Peter and the rest, contact with the risen Christ creates an unquenchable need to work on his behalf for the sake of all creation. Paul's experience on the road to Damascus causes him to work harder than any of the other apostles, he says. But, he emphasizes, it's not works that'll save him, but God's grace. It's God's grace that makes him want to work so hard. God's unending grace molds Paul and us to work harder to be in right relationship with God and with each other. Our relationship with God is based on God's grace, and we reciprocate as disciples with work. Relation is reciprocity. Now, the final call story we encounter this morning is in Luke's Gospel and the calling of Simon Peter and the disciples. Luke's story takes place later in Jesus' ministry than in the other Gospels, and Jesus is already known to Simon and has started to make a name for himself in the area, so much so that the crowd begins pressing in. Jesus gets into Peter's boat and continues with his teaching. And while it's not mentioned in the scripture, I imagine Jesus made some gesture or asked to climb into the boat with Peter. I mean, he didn't just jump in. And it's in this small gesture, this ask, that he starts to deepen his relationship with Peter. Jesus takes a risk. It's like in Isaiah where the magnificent Lord, in all humility, asks, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah answers, here am I, send me. God initiates the relationship. He asks whom he will send. Jesus asks Peter if he can get into the boat. God gives Paul limitless grace. Our relation starts with God, not with us. And then something miraculous happens in the Luke story. Peter and the disciples are exhausted. They've been out all night on their boat. They're tired and frustrated and probably a little hungry and their nets are empty. 
And they're folding up the nets and ready to go home and maybe sleep. And Jesus interrupts them one more time and asks them to try once more, just, just once more, to see what happens. I imagine these tired fishermen grumbling as they head out again into the deep. This is pointless. Why are we doing this? And you know what, ha- and you know what happens. They bring in so many fish that their nets are close to bursting. Jesus' relation with Peter and the disciples started on a risky, can I get into your boat, continued with a dare to go out one more time, but results in an unbelievable return. And how does Peter reciprocate? He falls to his knees and proclaims his unworthiness, his sinfulness, just like the prophet Isaiah in the presence of the mighty God. And Jesus relieves the disciples of their fear and tells them that they will be fishers of a different sort. And on this promise alone, they drop everything and follow him. Now, Peter and the others weren't doing world-changing work when Jesus approached them. They were fishing. God didn't appear to King Isaiah, but to a temple priest. God interrupts us in the middle of the ordinary. God starts a relation with us. And discipleship to God is how we reciprocate, how we respond. And this discipleship makes our ordinary work itself the vehicle the means by which Jesus becomes present in the world, that Jesus becomes, in a way, resurrected. Discipleship, forming ourselves in a way that God is asking, is how we reciprocate to God's simple request. Peter and the apostles and the 500 experienced something truly transformational in those days following Jesus' crucifixion. Paul experienced something equally disrupting on his road to Damascus, God is constantly appearing and asking us, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And through the grace of God, the grace that calls us to be disciples in the world, our only response is, like the prophet Isaiah, here am I, send me. Amen.